we didn't test the mic. Oh, that's, that's not too bad. Okay, cool. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 25. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship. If you were not here last night for the, the praise and prayer service slash meeting, whatever you want to call it, um, you missed out. And I want to encourage you, we recorded um, what Art shared, and, and we're gonna, I'm going to send that out to the whole church, uh, hopefully tomorrow, in an email. So if you get an email from me with the audio on it, I, ma- I want to make sure you take time to listen to that, okay? And, and you'll be blessed, I believe. Um, so uh, this morning we're going to continue looking at Exodus, and we have seen how the Israelites have been rescued from Egypt. They have um, been led by God through the wilderness. He's been providing for them. Uh, He brought them to Mount Sinai and he gave them the Ten Commandments and some other laws. And uh, and then just last week we saw how he confirmed his covenant with his people. He kind of made their relationship kind of official again, if you will, um, as uh, as he he gave the people his law and then they said, yes, we're going to do it all. And, uh, and then he splattered everybody, Moses splattered everybody with some blood, kind of to really make it official, to make them understand the seriousness of this relationship and the, how they're committed to one another and God is committed to them. And then it said that they beheld God and they ate and they drank. Um, and, uh, and so the, their relationship is official. God has been leading them by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And now from here on in through the rest of Exodus, uh, the rest of the book of Exodus is largely about construction. It's about a big construction project, basically. It's about them, God telling them to build the tabernacle. Um, and he gives them instructions for a bunch of chapters. And then there's this kind of little problem with the golden calf. We're going to get to that. And then back to more construction after that for the rest of the book. And, um, and so the rest of the book is a construction project. And, and I think one of the things that, that he's inviting us to see, we're going to look at the, kind of the introduction of that part um, this morning. He's inviting us to see, and he's inviting the people to see, that, that as... God lives in their presence. As they learn to live in God's presence, they need to learn to organize their lives around him. They need to learn to build their lives, to construct their lives around him, with him at the center, and that will require something of them. It will require something of us. So listen to God's word as I read from Exodus 25. I'm going to read verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak right now, that as we think about these verses, um, they, they don't jump off the page as being really exciting immediately. But Father, we pray that your spirit would, would work through them and that you would speak your truth to us and that you would renew our minds. You would help us to grasp the heights of the plans that you have for us. We pray that you would shape our hearts and change us. 
So Father, we ask that by your spirit you would speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we walked into the room and it was nothing like we remembered it looking. It was completely different. All the furniture had been completely moved around. And for a second I was like, are we even in the right room? This was uh, back, back, back last fall, Isaiah and I visited Silas at college. Silas has just finished his first year at, at college. And, uh, and he's living with five other guys in this kind of sweet situation where they have a common room. And that's we'd walked into the common room and all of the furniture had been moved. And the funny thing was that every time we walked into the room that weekend, the furniture was moved again. <laughs> Apparently, that, you know, these, these six guys in this space now living together couldn't really decide on, well, they, I, each person had their own view of how the furniture should go, basically. And so they just took it upon themselves to kind of move the furniture the way that they wanted it. And uh, that's, that happens a lot of times. You know, in college, especially for students going to college, there's like a little bit of a rude awakening where, you know, some kids have to share a room growing up, but a lot of kids, especially in our area, don't, show, don't share a room growing up, and, and suddenly they have a roommate. They have a roommate, and they have to deal with their roommate. They have to deal with what their roommate wants. They have to deal with what their, you know, their, the roommate's desires, and, and, it, and it makes them have to kind of change the way that they're living, Right? Um, and it's, it's something as minor as where the furniture is organized in the room. Um, as I just mentioned, God has come to the aid of the Israelites. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness. He's given them his law. He's been leading them, right? And now God wants to move in with them. He, they, they, they're finding out that, that God's now going to be their roommate. He's like, I want you to build a sanctuary for me and put it in the middle of your camp. I'm going to start living in your midst, right? That's what, he, that's what he says. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So suddenly the, the Israelites now have a new roommate, and that's going to require something from them. They're going to have to start maybe living differently. God, God's going to require something of them as, they, as, he, as he calls them to, to, to build their lives around him. And that's, I think, a lot of what this tabernacle construction has to do with is, is teaching the people that they need to now build their lives, construct their lives around him. And that's why the rest of the, the book of Exodus is, a, is very much a construction project. And, and I think that's true for us as well. If, if we want to live in God's presence, if we want to experience God's presence in our daily lives in a real way, then it's going to require some things of us. It's going to require us to construct our lives in a certain way. So how does God want the people to construct their lives around him? That's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at these verses. Um, The first thing that I want to point out is that God seems to desire cheerful construction, first of all. He desires cheerful construction. In verse 2, God says this. He says, Speak to the people of Israel and that they take from me a contribution. So he's, he's telling uh, Moses to tell the people to, to offer up offerings and things, supplies needed for the tabernacle, right? From every man whose heart moves him. That's what really strikes me, right? It says, from every man whose heart moves him. Right, so he tells Moses, Don't, I want you to take a contribution. We're going we to need to collect supplies to construct this tabernacle where I'm going to live in your midst, but I don't want you to force the people to do it. I don't want you to, to say, this is what you have to do. I want you to take a, 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 a contribution from everybody whose heart moves him. Think about how striking this would have been for the people who had been living for hundreds and hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt. 
they had not had a choice for hundreds of years in how they served and how they built. They'd been living under the oppression of the Egyptians and under Pharaoh, saying over and over throughout their lives, you must build. And even he, he even at one point takes away their supplies, right? You have to get your own supplies and you have to still build. And then they come into God's presence and God moves in with them and he says, okay, we're going to build, but only if you want to. Only if your heart moves you. I think one thing that, that this reminds me of is I, as I think about the whole Bible, later in the New Testament, there's a verse that comes right after the verse that we read for the offering this morning in 2 Corinthians. And it says, each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So this is kind of a, a, a common theme here we find here in Exodus and in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians that, that what God wants is people who are not forced to serve him. He wants people who delight in serving him, who cheerfully serve him, who serve him because they're moved to serve him. One, one thing that this reveals to us is that when it comes to our walk with God, when, when it comes to our, our walk with him as, as we experience his presence in our lives is that he wants something that is genuine, he wants something that is genuine. He, he's not interested in, in us form, formally, mindlessly, heartlessly living out a relationship. He wants our heart to be in it. God wants his people to, to renovate our lives, to change our lives, to construct our lives around him so that he is at the center, but he doesn't want us to do it because we feel like we have to. He wants us to do it with joy. He wants us to do it with joy. And this is, this is important for us because I think, I, in my experience talking with people, this is something that, that is common to all of us. We, we often have to fight this temptation to, to live out a relationship with God um, because we have to do it. Like we, we constantly feel like we should do this or must do that. You know? A lot of us come to church because we feel like we should, because we feel like we must, not because our heart's really in it. Some of us, you know, we, we, we have to build these, these you know, disciplined Bible reading kind of structures in our lives because if we don't, then if we, if we just wait till we feel like it, then we won't do it. Um, and I'm not saying that we should just only do things when we feel like it because if we do, then we're not going to do anything because our hearts are desperately broken and sinful. I think it's important for us to build disciplined kind of things in our lives where we're, we're saying, I'm going to show up to church no matter what. I'm going to show up to a small group even if I don't want to go, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. But God's saying, I don't settle for just doing things because you have to. What I want is a heart that delights in coming and worshiping. What I want is a heart that delights in, in opening up the Bible and just drinking it in and talking to me. What I want is a heart that delights in, in sacrificing its, itself for, to serve other people, to, to, to bless others and, and represent me. God wants our hearts to be in it. He wants our hearts to be in it. Um, and this is the thing. He wants your heart because he is worth your heart. He's worth your heart. What God does here is actually pretty incredible. The fact that he invites people to give only if they want to demonstrates how secure God is in one sense. Like when I think about 
as I live my life and, and I have kind of some authority roles in my life, especially when I think of like me with my kids, if I were to just say to them, okay, I, you, I just want you to clean up the toys in the living room when you feel like it, okay, guys? I want you to brush your teeth if you feel moved to, to brush your teeth. Okay, I just want you to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, just if, you know, if, if you feel led to, okay? That does, that's not going to work, right? So in my life, I have to force my kids to do some things. I have to threaten them to get them to do stuff. God doesn't feel that need. He doesn't feel that need to threaten us to get us to do stuff, to threaten the people to get them to give, right? Because he is worth it. He knows that, that, he is, that, that if they will give, that is where they will find their greatest joy. That is where they will really experience real satisfaction and happiness. And so he wants us to, to, to cheerfully construct our lives. He wants, he, wants us to, he wants our hearts to be in it. And if our hearts are not in it, then, then what, we, what do we have to do? We, we need to desperately, continually pray and say, God, change my heart. Help me to be a person who longs to serve you, who can't wait to get to church to worship with your people, who can't wait to just live my day serving others and telling other people about you because of how good you are. We need to be people that, that, that are constantly praying that God would work a miracle in our hearts, that we would find our joy in him, that we would want to cheerfully construct our lives around him. The second thing you see here is that God requires costly construction. He gives Moses and the people a shopping list, right, from verses 3 to 7. And if you look at that shopping list, it's, it's pretty obvious from the beginning. Um, these are some pretty valuable items on this shopping list. So he first talks about precious metals, the gold, silver, bronze. He, he talks about these, these yarns that are dyed with um, uh, colors purple and, and blue, like these, these expensive dyes that are used for these yarns. He talks about these, these stones um, for, uh, for setting in the ephod and the breast piece. And, and these, are, these are valuable things. These are costly things. The things he is asking for is going to cost them. There are things that they have that, that maybe they, they value, and it's going to be hard to let go of because they're valuable, right? And one thing that this points points out to us, I think, is that to renovate our lives, to construct our lives around a relationship with God is going to be a costly thing. It's going to cost us things that, that we have a hard time letting go of and giving up. It's going to cost us things that we consider valuable. It's kind of like, have you ever watched those, um, uh, any of those uh, flipping shows, house flipping shows? Um, when if, if there's ever uh, a, like a couple flipping houses or, or two partners flip, flipping houses, one of the things that, that often happens is, is they'll get it in the house and, and one of the, the, the partners always wants to spend way more money than the other one, right? There's one partner that always wants to go for the, the, the most expensive countertop for the kitchen counter. Or they want to they splurge and pay for the marble in the bathroom. Or they want to buy this, this certain wood that, you know, instead of $15 a square foot, it's $50 a square foot. I don't know how much, you know, wood floors go for, but whatever. It's, they they want to pay way more, and the other person's like, no way, we cannot spend that much. We cannot spend that much. I'm not going to do it. 
And pretty much every time I've ever seen those shows, I haven't watched a lot of them, but every time I see them, the person who wants to spend more always wins. And the person who doesn't want to spend the money always has to spend more than they wanted to. You know? The person who wants to spend more is like, we, we need to put this value into the ha- this house so that, that it will sell for a lot. You know, we need to make this house as, as valuable as possible. And the person always gives in and they have to spend more than they wanted to. And, and so being in a relationship with God, being in a covenant relationship with God, where you're living in God's presence and you're trying to construct your life around what he thinks is important and, and who he is, he's that kind of partner that wants to spend way more than we want to. That's the kind of partner he is. He's going to continually... If you're really asking him for his input, he's going to continually tell you to spend more than you want to. He's going to tell you to spend more money than you want to, whether it's giving to a ministry or just helping somebody in need. He's going to tell you to spend more time than you want to, just to sit with somebody else and to listen to them or to serve others or to volunteer in a, in a ministry in the church or something like that. He's going he's to tell you, I, I want you to spend more than you think you have or than you want to give up. He's going to, to, to tell you to spend more than you want to when it comes to your comfort. To give that up, that you carefully guard. You know, the boundaries in your life. He's going to call you to give up those things and to let other people invade your life. He's going to call us to spend more than we want to spend. It's costly construction that he calls us to. But the reality is that the reason it's costly is because constructing our lives around him is worth it, as I said before. It's worth it. Why does he ask them to give all of these things that are so valuable? He wants to remind them that that a life in his presence is valuable. Wealth comes from, from being in his presence and knowing him. True wealth experience of blessing, of joy and peace, security. It's costly. And that's what he calls each of us to. Have you considered what God is calling you, how how much God is calling you to spend of your life today? I'd encourage you. Some of us, a lot of us, I want to talk about how he wants our hearts to be in it. A lot of us maybe want to keep God at a distance. We want to keep our relationship with God purely professional, kind kind of distant, we don't want our hearts to be in it because, because if we just keep it distant, if we keep it professional, then we can maybe be in control of what we're going to spend. You know? We can just kind of decide, oh, I, I think this is enough. And if I'm spending this much, then I'll be okay. Then I'll be okay. But if, we're, if our hearts are going to be in it, if we're really going to live in relationship with him and listen to him and ask for his opinion on, and, and, and you know, like look at the word and say, well, God, how do you want me to be living differently? How do you want me to be spending the things that I have? He's going to call us to, to have to spend more than we want to, to let go, to let go of control. So he calls us to cheerful construction, and he calls us to costly construction. Lastly, he calls us to careful construction. He expects careful construction. In verse 9, he says, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tab- tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. He wants them to, to follow his instructions exactly. He's very particular about how he wants them to, 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 to make the tabernacle just like he tells them to. And, and then he goes through several chapters of, of all the, the instructions of how he wants them to make it. Why is God so particular about having them make it a certain way? Is he just kind of a control freak? 
Or does he have a reason for having them follow his instructions exactly? Isn't it enough for them to just kind of make a tent however they want to in the middle and say, like, okay, that's where, God, that's where God's going to live? No, he wants them to make it exactly like he wants them to. He, he, like like he, he wants to. He wants them to be careful about it. And I think one reason is because we, we just read earlier, you guys might have you know, listened to, to Mark read that passage from Hebrews 8, and you're like, what the heck does this mean? Why is he reading this? What, what does this have to do with anything? And uh, well, one of the things that I just wanted to point out in, in, in Hebrews 8, towards the end in, in verse 5, verses 4 and 5, um, oh, verse 5, it says, uh, these things, basically, he talk, he's talking about, one of the things he's talking about is the tent that Moses erected, right? At the very end, he says, uh, and he talks about why God instructed um, Moses to, to make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Just before that, he says, it, it, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. One of the things that, that, that the tabernacle was meant to do was to remind the people, was to, to point the people and remind them and, 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 and instruct them on heavenly things. So one of the reasons that the tabernacle was there in the midst of the wilderness as they traveled around was to remind the people that this isn't all there was. It was to remind them of, of the fact that their, that their destiny was um, somewhere great, somewhere beautiful, somewhere amazing. And, and as you look at, the, as you look at the, the instructions for the tabernacle, I encourage you to, to take some time, maybe today or this week, to read through these chapters because we're going to skip over some of them but to read the chapters of the instructions for the tabernacle. And, and in those instructions, he, he talks about, you know, the, the, the tabernacle is to be built, as obviously, first of all, with these, these you know, costly, valuable things, gold, silver. Um, and, and, it, and it, you know, it, in some ways, it, 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 uh, there, there are parts of it that, that remind them of, of fruitfulness. There's like flowers and things like that, and, and even kind of reminding of the Garden of Eden a little bit. But uh, uh, there, there's this... this sense of, of value and beauty and fruitfulness that he wants to remind them of with the tabernacle. And as they're living their, their normal, you know, mundane lives, as they're trudging through the wilderness, I think God wants to remind them that they are made for something greater, more beautiful, something heavenly. And so he, he wants to teach them something, and that's why he wants them to be careful. That's one reason he wants them to be careful about how they construct it. But secondly, I think the, the need for following God's instructions exactly also point us to the fact that, that we can only live in God's presence in the way that he instructs. We can't just kind of come to God and live in his presence any old way we want to. We've got to follow his instructions if we want to live in his presence. We need to be very careful about l following his instructions in order to live in his presence. Um, part of the instructions for the tabernacle included instructions about consecrating Aaron and his sons to be priests and setting up this priestly system and, and setting up the system of sacrifices. There's, you know, there's an altar is supposed to be built and they're going to sacrifice animals on this altar and one of the things that these sacrifices are going to do is they're going to atone for the people's sin. And so one of the things that this tabernacle is going to remind them of is not only God's presence but their, but their sinfulness and, and, and in order to, to be in God's presence that their sinfulness had to be dealt with. Their sinfulness had to be dealt with because apart from that, they, they cannot live in God's presence. And so God gives them careful instructions. If you want to live in my presence, you, want to, you, you need to be continually aware of how sinful you are. You need to be continually aware of how I 
um, I will make provision for your sin, for your sin to be covered and atoned for. Ultimately, all, all of these things, are as they, as they continue to, to live with them and, and practice them, they're pointing forward, ultimately, to the work of Jesus, to the, to the, to the ultimate priest. That's one of the points that, that Hebrews makes, is that you know, in, the, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, and then later they had the temple, and they had these priests that offered sacrifices over and over again. And the reason they had to offer them over and over again is because they didn't really take. You know, they, 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 they weren't really um, effective in dealing with the people's sin. But what that pointed them to is what they really needed was a sacrifice that would be effective a sacrifice, a final sacrifice that would truly take away their sin. And, and, and they, it, was, it was pointing the people to, to look to God's ultimate provision. And that ultimate provision is Jesus. Jesus came and he, he served as the ultimate priest, the one who, who connects us with God, who stands between us and God and brings us to him and brings God to us. We, we also see in, in John 1, we're reminded, this, this is all talking about the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle is, is, the, is the, the symbol of God's presence with his people. And in John 1, John talks about how Jesus is the tabernacle, that Jesus came into our world and tabernacled among us. That's the word he uses. Jesus is the one who brings God's presence to us. He is the one through whom we can, we can experience God's presence. We cannot experience God's presence any other way. We must come into God's presence and experience it only in the way that he has provided it, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. We cannot experience God's presence by just reading a lot of nice, nice spiritual books, a lot of nice self-help books. We can't approach God and experience his presence by following any other religion apart from Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that we experience the presence of God. And I think that's one of the things that the tabernacle reminds us of, that, that the fact that he calls them to, to, to follow his instructions exactly reminds us that, that we can only come into God's presence when we do it the way that he says it. And the way that he has said, the way that he has made for us is through Jesus Christ, the high priest, the ultimate high priest, the ultimate sacrifice that pays for our sin and enables us to live in God's presence and know that he is good and know that he loves us. And so God says to the people, to us, now that, you're, now that we're in relationship, if, if you want to live together, that's great, but I want your heart. It's going to cost you, and you need to pay attention to the details. Ultimately, you need to pay attention to Jesus. You need to come to me through Jesus. But one thing I, I need to just finish with, I need to, I need to point out, and I would, it would be, criminal for me not to mention this and point this out. Maybe you guys already realize this. What is, God's making these, com, you know, he's telling the people to, to offer up these sacrifices and to build this, this tabernacle and to, to give all these valuable things to him. Um, do you realize where all of these uh, valuable, costly things that they're going to have to give up for the tabernacle came from? How did they get all of this gold and silver and bronze? How did they get all of this wealth that they had that he was asking them to give up? They got it from Egypt. They got it when they were leaving Egypt. Remember when they were leaving Egypt, God demonstrated his power in such a, a, a profound way, a big way over the Egyptians that they, they kicked the Israelites out. Not only did they kick the Israelites out, they were like, take our stuff with you. Just take it. The reason that the Israelites have all of this wealth is because it was given to them. 
through the work of God. This is the kind of roommate that God is. He's a roommate that asks a lot of us, that requires a lot of us, but he's a roommate that has everything to give, that, that works to provide everything for us. That's the kind of roommate I want to live with. A roommate that is good, that is rich, and that wants to pour out his blessing upon us. That is who God is. Everything that he requires of them, he has already given them. And that's what we need to realize. And as, as we live in God's presence, all that he requires of us, as, as he asks us to give up things for him, we need to realize that he has is, he is already promised to give us everything that we possibly could want and need. And he does that through the work of Jesus. So let's rest in Jesus this morning and, and all that he has done for us. Let's rest in God, God's promise to meet our needs and to bless us and to use us and to grow us. Let's rest in his presence today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to see how good you are this morning. We pray that you would help us to think about what living in your presence means. Father, we pray that you would protect us from being people who just kind of phone it in, who just kind of uh, put a bunch of stuff on a checklist and, and check it off um, in our relationship with you. But Father, we pray that you would help us to, to give you our hearts. We pray that you would work on our hearts and change them so that we are people who, who, will, who will run to the front of the line and say, here I am, God, take me. I want to build my life around you. Father, we thank you that all that you ask of us, you've already given us more than we could imagine through your son, Jesus. Pray that you'd help us to, to rest in Christ and to rejoice in him. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.